How's it going, everybody? I'm back for episode seven of the round one podcast. It's been a while, but you know, they say quality over quantity, and I definitely have a high quality episode for you guys today. I finally had the chance to talk fitness and nutrition in depth with my former strength and conditioning coach out of the University of Toronto, Dre Reimer. He graduated from the University of Ottawa with an undergrad degree in human kinetics. He's worked with teams, uh, programs such as the U Ottawa varsity program. Uh, he was strength coach for the Etobicoke Swim Club, interned as a strength coach for the Women's Canadian National Rugby Development Group, and now he oversees strength coaching for the University of Toronto varsity soccer, rowing, and swim teams. I really enjoyed talking to Dre and learned a lot, so get your notebooks out and enjoy. It's recording. Okay. Uh, welcome, Coach Dre, to the podcast. First in a while, but I'm excited to talk fitness with you. So, uh, yeah, um, you are, person background, you are my strength and conditioning coach at U of T. Uh, I'm on the golf team, quote unquote sport, but you know, we'll, <laughs> that's a debate for another time. But uh, yeah, for in the, in the past year, I've had the, the pleasure of training with you. And, uh, you know, you're very knowledgeable about the stuff. So I'd like to just have a nice conversation with you about training, being a coach and whatnot. So welcome. Yeah, thanks, Matt. And uh, I would say golf is definitely a sport. So uh, don't uh, don't undermine it too much there, kid. <laughs> yeah, well, you uh, know, I, I take it a little more seriously on the athletic side than most. But that can be if you look at some of the pros, some of them are crazy athletes. Some of them are absolute slobs, uh, soup sandwiches, if you will. <laughs> well, I would, I would, I tried to play some golf this past summer, went to the driving range and it is a lot harder than it looks. Let me tell you, I couldn't hit the ball any farther than like 50 feet. So uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's hard to it. Yeah. It's, it's hard to learn. It takes a lot of coordination, but, uh, yeah, like, like, uh, I mean, recently, uh, it's been very, the professional athletes, the professional golfers have been really into the whole fitness thing. And it's been, it's been paying off. You see the, the top, top caliber players in the world are all good athletes. The Rory McIlroy's started with Tiger Woods. Obviously everybody knows that one. And he kind of started mm -hmm. that trend, but, uh, I guess, yeah, like that brings us into one of the questions I had, I had for you. So, uh, how do different athletes, uh, respond to different types of training, whether it be, you know, golf or other sports, right? We have plenty of teams at, at school and, mm -hmm. uh, you, you coach myself. So I'm on the golf team and then I work out with what, like rowing and stuff. So those are very different sports. How do you approach that as a coach? Um, so as a coach, I think one thing that I definitely keep in mind is just the, the specific kind of demands that are placed on the athletes, right? So, mm -hmm. um, for instance, like for yourself, um, there's, you're going to be more dominant to one side than the other, right? The side mm -hmm. that you mostly swing your golf club. Uh, so one side is going to develop certain adaptations to that specific demand that it's placed under. Uh, I also work very heavily with swimming and um, one of their adaptations that they um, that they kind of develop through the demands is that they lack a certain ankle range of motion in like, let's say a dorsiflexion because they're predominantly in plantar flexion in their sport, right? So yeah. there's differences between sports and obviously between golf and swimming, those are completely different demands that are placed on the athlete, but also within the sport, right? So if you take football, for instance, or more like a team sport, um, there are going to be different demands placed on like a lineman versus a quarterback versus a receiver, right? But also for yourself, uh, or for uh, maybe more of an individual athlete, um, I'll go back to swimming here, there's a difference between a 50 meter swimmer and a 800 meter swimmer, right? There's just different demands that are placed on those athletes that they kind of have to overcome. Um, and then secondly, I think just like the the different body types you have to be aware of. So uh, different recovery between sessions um, and then the adaptations uh, from the stimulus placed on you guys as athletes, right? So um, 
obviously as a sprinter, you're kind of more familiar or you kind of, you enjoy more rest, you have higher bouts of the high intensity in, uh, exercise or um, activity with higher rest and someone who is a more of like an endurance athlete might have more of that longer bout of activity with uh, shorter rest, right? They might be more accustomed to that. So just keeping that in mind, uh, but ultimately for myself, it's, um, it's, it's a matter of enjoyment with the session like that. And at U of T, when we have a multi-sports uh, session and there's like yourself and rowing and swimming and soccer, uh, just making sure that everyone kind of enjoys the session. And if uh, that's kind of the art of being a coach, uh, if like for yourself, you really like doing bicep curls and I women's soccer players don't really like doing bicep curls, then that's an auxiliary exercise that I can kind of sprinkle on top of the workout of the, of the meat and potatoes to, you know, uh, create some sort of buy-in for yourself. And uh, I listen to what uh, like the women's soccer players want, which might be like more calf raises or like bun workouts, you know, like make the booty big or something, you know? So just keeping that in mind. And um, when working with anyone really athletes or, or uh, anyone who's training. Yeah. And it's I'll been interesting. Yeah. It's been interesting <laughs> for myself as a, as a fighter as well, for most of my life, I've been doing martial arts and, um, I transitioned like pretty late at, only, at like 13 into golf mainly. And mm -hmm. uh, I kept doing the, the martial arts stuff. So it, it's helped, I guess, as a, even though golf is not physically straining, like you still walk for five, four to five hours, 15 kilometers, right. And a four day tournament, it can wear on you. So that's that kind mm -hmm. of the cardio there has helped. And also in terms of, uh, like you said, within sports, there are different types of, uh, you know, different, different, uh, different, I guess, attributes that you can train. And, um, like recently I was watching, uh, you probably, nobody listening will know, but, uh, this guy, Paul Felder was called on in the UFC to have like a last minute, uh, fight. And he was training for a marathon at the time and the cardio it takes to train for a marathon versus a five round bout five, three minute rounds is completely different, right? You're doing completely different, uh, activities and like, you know, whether it's walking 15 kilometers, running, whatever it might be, or, you know, hitting, uh, for five rounds of three minutes each, it's, it's very different. And I, I appreciate how much it takes, uh, kind of as a coach to realize that and to change your, uh, routine, the routine for the athlete to kind of accommodate that. And, um, it's interesting, but you said, uh, you talked about, um, enjoyment just now, right? Um, mm -hmm. intensity versus enjoyment. That's also a very interesting topic. Cause for myself, before I seriously got into, like I trained for golf, but mostly I train for, for enjoyment. Cause I do enjoy it at this point. And, uh, a lot of people can kind of, uh, get over motivated and go all out and burn themselves out versus, mm -hmm. you know, actually developing a, a stable routine that they can stick to. So maybe speak a little bit, uh, to that. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to bring out every cliche in the book that you've ever heard of. Um, the first one is that uh, I would say that training or really just life in general is more of a marathon, not a sprint. Right? Uh, but it's still a race. Mm -hmm. Right. So there is still a an objective, a goal for yourself. Right? And more so maybe with an athlete who's training up to a competition. Right. So um, because you have some, a certain timeline that you want to follow. Um, but it, within that timeline, you have to understand that it is a marathon and you can't take the first two months to just, you know, go as hard as you can with potential risk of burnout or, you know, uh, leading to injury. So uh, there is still a race to the finish line, but you have to understand that it is more of like a slow burn uh, and you have to uh, kind of put in the time little and often overload the uh, over the long haul, right? So uh, when it comes to training, I think consistency is key uh, and showing up and putting in the work. Uh, not every day is going to be your best day, right? So you have to, you have to really uh, listen to your body and try to look at it as objectively as it is. And if you come into the workouts and, or even if you get out of bed and you're like, you know what, I don't really feel like working out today, but it's in your calendar, get up, go to the gym and, you know, make a point of making a note of, I don't feel the greatest today, but how am I going to modify it? Or how am I going to scale up or down to make sure that I can still get the best out of the work that I'm about to put in, right? 
Um, because I'd like, uh, like I said, at the start, like ideally you should be enjoying your training, but if it's, uh, but it may take some time for you to get to that point. So, um, understanding what you like versus you don't like, uh, understanding your body, understanding the reason why you're training is a huge one for me because a lot of people don't understand that why. And I feel like as athletes, uh, you've been kind of told how to live your life for such a long time, show up here, do this practice here, warm up now, uh, go to school, go to practice, eat now, go to bed, do your homework kind of thing, right? Uh, and maybe more people can relate to that, even just a student in general, right? It almost feels like you don't have a lot of autonomy. Um, mm -hmm. So just kind of, you know, entertaining that idea of why uh, and kind of giving that power to the athlete to hold on to and think of is very important for me as a coach to understand. Uh, because if you understand that why, then every time you come into the gym, you have an intention, right? And if it isn't to go as hard as you can every time, sometimes the intention can just be come in and it's an active recovery workout. And when you're doing mobility, you don't think to yourself, this is a waste of time because you know why you're doing it. It is going to contribute to the overall picture, right? And keeping that overall picture um, in your mind and understanding what you're doing every day and why you're doing it. It changes your perspective. Instead of thinking, oh, I'm just eating this because, or I'm just going to bed because, it's like, no, I'm going to bed at this time because I want to be able to get eight hours, which is going to allow me to get up in the morning to train, be fully recovered, eat in the proper mindset, you know, to be able to do more schoolwork and yada, yada, right? It's a ripple effect. So uh, again, long, uh, long answer, uh, but I think just keeping in, the end in mind when you're training and not going uh, super intense every day. There is times, there are times to go intense and challenge yourself. Um, but you have to make sure that you're in it for the long haul and you're, you're keeping sustainable. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, uh, for myself, uh, as I, you know, I'm, I'm still pretty young, naive, whatever, early in my, uh, career as like, a athlete, but I've been doing it for a while. And when I was a kid, uh, especially training like high level, uh, like judo, I was always, um, I had a program in front of me and I was kind of burned out almost. And I was just doing it because it, it was what I was told to do. And, you know, as a kid, you might not have as much autonomy, but once, once that kind of left and I was kind of on my own and I had to motivate myself to go to the gym, that was like a key moment for me when I figured out, okay, why, why do I want to do this for myself specifically? Right. And that's the, the key I think is to, it's easy to like, there's a, a million reasons you can think of why to work out, obviously, like, you know, it's, it's good for your mental health, physical health. You'll uh, you know, it's good. You'll just look better, whatever, but like, mm -hmm. it's important to be true to yourself. And that might not be enough to motivate everybody to, to wake up and run. Cause it, sometimes it does suck. But I think if you, if your why is, is honest, right. If you actually know yourself well enough to figure out why you're doing this. And for some people, it might not be worth it. Honestly, some people, obviously it's worth it for everybody to do a little bit of exercise every week, just to stay in shape and healthy. Mm -hmm. But some people, mm -hmm. their professional goals might be more important and maybe their why entails not working out as much. And that's fine too. But as long as you have your why and you know, it's, it's, it's true to you, then I think it makes it really easy to get up in the morning and go for that run or get into the gym, even when you don't want to. Some days it'll feel great and you'll go in feeling awesome, but some days you're going to have to get past that. And that's the thing that, you know, in the back of your head that makes you, you know, kind of get off your ass and get into the gym because that's, mm -hmm. yeah. So like, I think, uh, it's spot on and, uh, it's not, uh, not, not a cliche. It, it's a cliche for a reason, I guess, because it really <laughs> yeah. is accurate. I think. Yeah. Think yeah. about your future self almost, you know, like, it, because I feel like when you sit down and you're, when you sit down and you have a pen and paper in your hand and you write down the objective or the end goal, right? You're in a mental space to, you know, or you may be in a mental space to think of a bigger picture, but day to day, you don't, it's not like you're consciously thinking every single day, this for the big picture, this is for the big picture, right? So you're going to mm. get caught up in life, life is going to happen, and it's going to throw you curveballs. And like you said, some days, you're not going to be wanting to get up and go training. But if you, if you just remind yourself in that moment, why you're doing what you're doing, then I think it can help you kind of uh, 
uh, light a light a fire or a spark to then like get you out of the door and go do that one thing that you might be dreading, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I agree with that, and that's the that's the hardest part is getting up, and then doing it becomes a little easier. Um, mm-hmm. Also, I wanted to talk to you a little bit a bit about um, nutrition. Uh, you know, it's it's an important aspect. I guess you can categorize categorize it in the same kind of basket as, as training training nutrition kind of go hand in hand. But mm-hmm. I think, um, like, I know, I know on the golf team, we had a few sessions with like a nutritionist, but nothing much, nothing compared to mm-hmm. like the actual, uh, physical training sessions that we had the opportunity, uh, to partake in. I think it's often right. overlooked by most, uh, teams and, and people. And, uh, I guess maybe if you have an opinion on that, yeah, I was uh, happy you asked this question because I can express everything I don't know about nutrition, which is mm-hmm. a lot, but I do know some, but um, I think one reason why as an, a strength and conditioning coach, um, and I can't speak to sport coaches, but one reason why I kind of stay clear of prescribing nutrition advice is that I'm, I understand that it's not ne- necessarily an area of my expertise. I'm not a nutritionist mm-hmm. by any means. Uh, I think one thing that I've learned as a young strength conditioning coach is to develop a network that I can refer out to, right? So that is uh, getting to know people uh, who are in other expertise that I can kind of refer people out to uh, that I trust, you know? So you re- you have to develop a relationship with that person um, to be able to, for that, for, to gain their trust and for you to gain, uh, for them to gain your trust, right? So um, that's, I just wanted to preface with that. I'm by no means a nutrition coach. Um, but like you said, I think it is overlooked and I think it is very important for multiple reasons. Um, for, as you said, as a fighter, uh, as, and as you know, as a fighter, uh, it is a weight class, uh, sport. Yeah. Right. And in a weight class sport, mixed martial arts, dance, figure skating, um, something where you, you'd be placed in a weight class category, your nutrition has to be A1. It has to be on top of its game, right? And whenever I'm talking about nutrition with anyone and you know people are like, I have to be in the gym 10 times a week. I have to be doing cardio all the time, blah, blah, blah. My answer to them is you know, weight gain or loss happens in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. 70%, roughly, I actually, I can't say this scientifically, but I'd say a handful of a majority of the percent of weight loss and gain happens in the kitchen and the rest happens in, in the, uh, the weight room. Right. So with that being said, um, just ensuring that you seek out, like I said, those professionals to, to give you that nutrition advice um, is, is very important. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, personally have been seeing a naturopath and I would highly recommend it. Um, that's only one nutrition, someone who can help out with your nutrition. You can see a sport nutritionist uh, or any nutritionist by that means. Um, but I think the, the biggest thing that helped me with uh, or realization um, with a naturopath that I noticed is that it allowed me to understand my body. So any intolerances, uh, deficiencies, allergies, and my energy balance, I was able to kind of um, address my mood, which uh, contributed um, um, to anxiety, depression, irritability, fatigue. These are all conversations that I could have with my naturopath. Um, I can't say this, I've never seen a dietitian, so I don't know if you can have these exact same conversations with them. Um, but again, these are things that are definitely overlooked by more than just the strength conditioning coach and sport coach, but also the athletes themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Because I feel like I feel, you know, allergies, that's a pretty simple one. I'm allergic to this food, right? But uh, waking up in the morning, feeling bloated or gassy, you might not attribute that to intolerances or deficiencies, right? So uh, I think one thing that I def- my naturopath definitely recommended I do is to get blood work, right? And uh, a lot of us, a lot of people I feel like um, will gravitate to supplements because that is something that 
um, they've read are beneficial or that they assume that they are lacking some vitamins or nutrients. I got blood work done and I was very, I'd say, quote unquote, normal in about all of my blood work. Although it was, it was funny because my, uh, my doctor actually sent me for the blood work and then I gave the, the results to my naturopath and my doctor called me and said, your blood work's fine. You're all good to go. And my naturopath broke down everything in detail. Yes, you are good here. You're within the range. But for a male, you're at the lower end of your iron and B12 stores. As a female, if you had these stores within this range, you'd be fine. But as a male, you are a little bit deficient, which may be contributing to your energy levels or, you know, mood swings, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, very, so, yeah. It's, it's so important, right? To, uh, it's, and it comes down to the science. I mean, you're a bio, bio, biochemist, right? Yeah. You're in bio, biochemistry. So uh, you can understand that it, it's a science and uh, it's, a, it's something beyond a coach to understand, right? Yeah. Um, and then, but I think for me, what we can do when we, uh, when someone t goes to see those uh, professionals is to then reach out to them or work with the athletes and the knowledge that they now possess after going to see that professional, right? Mm -hmm. um, and working with university athletes, I will say this is challenging because of the volume of athletes that we have. Yeah. And I think that you can definitely attest to this. And if any university athlete is listening to this right now, um, it is, I can't speak to every university, but I think it is very rare that you're going to get 12 athletes and every single one of them are going to be on individual programs, physical and nutritional programs, right? Yeah. If that's the case, the university has a crap ton of finances and resources and uh, the athletes want to get better. Mm -hmm. and understand how nutrition can play a role in their development not only physically you you think you 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 think that if an athlete is doing poorly in school that doesn't affect how they perform on field yeah of course yeah absolutely and, and vice versa can, as well and i know versa. personally yeah, as a versa. as a golfer our season is in in the fall in october and I've, I'm applying to grad school right now and I'm looking at my GPA. My GPA is without fail worse in the fall than it is in the winter. And I've had to address that in some of my, uh, some of my letters of intent, for example, it's, it, it's not a big deal. It's not much, but like I kind of strive for excellence in you know, in the, in the classroom and on the golf course. And I had to say, okay, because I'm a varsity athlete, because I have, uh, this, this, uh, extra, um, extra thing during the fall seasons, I, you know, my grades have suffered, but again, it made me a better person for it. I had to learn a lot that I, I learned a lot that I wouldn't have been able to without representing the school in my mm -hmm. sport. And, you know, I don't have any regrets, but that's definitely uh, something I've, I've come to find. Mm -hmm. And who knows, maybe if your, if your nutrition was your priority, your top priority, maybe in those fall seasons, that fall semester, you could have you could have had the mental clarity and energy to excel in mm. both yeah possibly we have yeah. no idea because i think that a lot of people attribute their fatigue and irritability anxiety their bloatness to other things yeah uh, my roommates finances uh, my partner my family you know school's tough sports stuff uh there's all of these other things that are uh people offload these you know um I don't want to call them ailments, but, you know, these feelings too, um, when ultimately at the end of the day, it could just be that your vitamin B12 is at rock bottom, mm -hmm. right? Or yeah. we live in Canada, we don't get a lot of sunlight in the winter and your vitamin D is at rock bottom and you, and that may be contributing to some sort of mood swing or energy level, right? Yeah. So I think of it as an opportunity to learn about yourself. And I think that more people should seek out that opportunity because you are waking up every single day with yourself. Yeah. Right. So um, get to know that person and mm -hmm. what that person likes and, and what you like and don't like and how certain things and environments and seasons make you feel. Right. Mm -hmm. For sure. 
Yeah. And like, uh, you know, as a biochemistry student, I've, I've taken various like biochem specific courses and I understand how, how, how vitamins can, can act as, you know, coenzymes and important to like the hormone function in the body and all that stuff. And all that science is actually pretty, pretty clear cut. But, uh, this past semester I actually took a nutrition course, which is not, mm-hmm. it, I just took it as a breath course. Cause I I'd say, I, I thought like, okay, I'm, I'm in biochem, like this should be pretty easy. And even though it was not, not, not the course specifically, but I can tell you that from my experience doing that, I think nutrition, I feel bad for nutritionists because it's, it's a complete mystery. And honestly, <laughs> there is no, there's no clear cut, like evidence, like there are people that, you know, um, uh, suggest, you know, paleo vegan diets, these diets, these mm-hmm. vitamins, and, and there's research that kind of supports all of them and kind of, kind of there's research that uh, disclaims others. And it's, it's, it's very, it's very mucky to say the least compared mm-hmm. to the, mm-hmm. the kind of fields I'm used to. And I think, I think recently I've looked into a little bit of the, like you said, you did your blood work and maybe some of your, some of your levels were, were good and within the normal range, but as like a male versus a, a female, there's a mm-hmm. huge variance, genetic variance there. And we're just, it, it's actually very interesting, the, the kind of genetic nutrition aspect that I only kind of skimmed the surface, but completely see how, like, just look at like your basal metabolism, for example, right? Just, just mm-hmm. the, the simplest thing that I think in nutrition, if we look past all the vitamin stuff is like maybe the, the idea of weight loss as a biochemist, if I were to write a diet book, it would be like one, one sentence or a couple of words. It would be calorie deficit. That's it. Right. But if you look past that, right, there is, uh, the male versus female basal metabolism. That's like 400 calories right there. That's a couple cookies a day versus just genetic uh, variations between both. Cause there's obviously extremes in, in, in both genders. And maybe one guy will have, uh, his and basal metabolism means how many calories you burn without doing any for, for the listeners, I'm sure, you know, but, uh, <laughs> right. Just, just to, just to sit down, breathe for all your organs to work, you burn a certain amount of calories and one guy to the, to the next can have a two to 300 calorie deficit just there. Right. So <laughs> there's, there's a bunch of genetic factors involved. And then if we get into, to supplementation on top of that, that mm-hmm. just, that just hurts my brain. Like I, I can't, uh, <laughs> it, it is so different for everyone. And there's so many different things you can do. And I don't think, I honestly don't think there is like an answer because we are, our, our bodies are so intricate and the way our, our, our biochemistry works on top of like all of our systems that work together to make this living, mm-hmm. breathing thing that is, you know, us it's, it's, it's very complicated. And I think that, um, so far, we've, we're just beginning to kind of skim the surface of, of how to, how to work that, right. We're, we can fix cars cause we invented them, but you know, in terms of our, the machines that make our body go, we, we don't know <laughs> anything about them yeah, yet. So it's know, a very interesting science. And I would, I am, there's like, I'm interested in it, but there's, I'm going to stick to, to chemistry because I don't, I don't want to, I don't even want to mess with that nutrition stuff. It's, it's, <laughs> it's messed up, but it's a beast, man. It's a beast. It is. It is. It, it's, and it's intimidating, but at the same time, like I'm, I'm excited to, um, I'm happy that I got into it and I'm excited to see, uh, kind of read into it as, as the, the science moves along and, you know, even, you know, even, uh, like by the, all the sciences, they kind of work together. Like the, the CRISPR, mm-hmm. if you've ever heard of it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, uh, it's in genetics mostly. It's like a biological thing. We're able to the code our genetics and see how um, to the amino acid, how uh, the individual's genes vary. And it's, it's very interesting, but I don't think we should get into that today. I can, I can go <laughs> off for hours about that. Uh, but, another uh, conversation then. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, like uh, awesome, awesome stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. it's very interesting what you're saying. I guess um, I think before we go on to the next one, Matt, yeah. I just wanted to clarify too. Um, Another challenge that uh, that I'm sure nutritionists face is when they have a group of 100 athletes. It's mm. almost like where do you start? Yeah, well, there right? we go. And you're yeah. not gonna you're not gonna start, you know, saying you should eat this, you should eat this, right? Because based off of the conversation we just had, we don't know who should eat what at a, and at what time, right? There are general principles. Uh, the Can- Canadian Food Guide 
uh, has some principles that you can follow along and any dietitian will help you follow those principles once they kind of get to know you and do some sort of assessment. Um, but oftentimes, like, and what I say is it, the challenges are, they come almost without even eating food yet, right? Like comes with uh, grocery shopping. Some mm-hmm. people are literally afraid to walk into a grocery store. It's intimidating, man. To go into a grocery store, Loblaws, that place is huge, endless possibilities. When I moved out, I was like Dunkaroos and Pizza Pockets and Cinnamon mm-hmm. Toast Crunch. That's all I'm going to eat. But all this shit my mom didn't let me eat, you know? Awesome, yeah. Um, and then something as like meal prep. Okay, how do I meal prep if I don't even know how to plan what meals I'm going to eat in the, me- in the week, right? So mm-hmm. some, some, some sort of creating a weekly menu, and then learning how to grocery shop and then learning how to meal prep. Before you get into meal prep, you have to learn the actual skills of the kitchen, yeah. how to hold a knife, how to uh, learn how to uh, check the meat temperatures, how to use the stove or the oven, how to use spices, right? Uh, how to time things properly. So everything kind of comes out as an orchestrated thing at the end of the day. And, you know, your rice and your chicken and your steamed veggies are all coming out at the same time. And then you can say dinner's ready. You know, because you don't want your chicken to be finished and then your rice to be still cooking and your chicken's cold when you sit down to eat. Right. Mm -hmm. So it is intimidating. And it's 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 um, the question is, you know, where to start. Right. Yeah, that's really tough. And also, like, just to touch on on that, on top of being a student athlete, I have personally, I know that um, living I I live at home. Right. For my undergrad, I I live very close to uh, campus. So it's like a a short commute for me. So I've been lucky enough to be able to um, not have to worry a bunch uh, as much about my meal prep and stuff, because I do have like my family that eats and usually I have some food at home available, but I know mm-hmm. for sure that like my, some of my friends, for example, on the team have struggled uh, with the, the autonomy involved in knowing how to, you know, prepare and cook for yourself. And that's an all a whole nother thing that you do. It, it, it is an acts like, you know, shopping and preparing it takes time and it's an extra kind of stress you have to uh worry about and uh some of my friends has have asked me because uh i i have had like a bit of a a transformation throughout my four years at university i was a little a little chonkster in my first year and then i kind of you know figured some stuff out yeah i figured some stuff out of it but (laughs) but and then i i I tell them what i can but again i i can just like when my mom or when I go to Costco with my mom, for example, or she goes, I just say, okay, get me this, this, and this, and it's there. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, I'm very lucky to be able to do that. And I won't have that for very, for much longer, actually, like at all. So I'm going to have to figure it out on my own soon. But, uh, you know, that's something, you know, I can tell them like, this is what I do, but can they replicate it? Because they are on mm-hmm. their, it's, it's tough, right? It's an extra yeah. thing that, you know, it, it takes time and it's okay. So like, it's, uh, yeah, it's like, like I said, it's tough. There's so many things. It's layer upon layer of, of complication that uh, nutrition's a, a, a fuzzy, fuzzy area for sure. It's, it's a mystery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All telling right. a student yeah. athlete to go to Costco is just like, yeah, out of the question, out yeah. of the equation. Yeah. How do go I buy. get there? Uber is going to be expensive. I don't have yeah. everything. Yeah. I don't eat that much. Why is everything so big? <laughs> yeah. They'll come home with one of those day. five, five ton uh, muscle farm, uh, protein powdered tubs and be like, all right, this is my diet. Yeah. All right. So last, last question, I guess it's going back a little bit more to training and for you as a coach, right. Um, uh, you know, there's a, it's interesting to me as I'm sure you're, you're an athlete as well on top of being a coach and to kind of juggle those two identities, um, the coach versus athlete mentality, right. Uh, Mm -hmm. how do you, how do you manage that? Like switching between the two and being able to kind of, I, you know, when you're, when you're making, when you're planning, um, uh, routine or, um, when you're, you're making Program. training plans for various athletes, how do you kind of mm-hmm. set aside your personal, you know, biases or preferences as an athlete and kind of, you know, put on the coach hat and see what they need from their, uh, specific sport. I, that's interesting to me. So I guess I can sum it up by one, with one word, and then I'll give you that long-winded answer that I've uh, continued to show that I have. Uh, mm-hmm. But the one word would be 
listen. Okay. Because I always ask my athletes, every every athlete I ever work with, everyone I really ever work with, I always ask for feedback. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, I'd say more times than not, I don't get any feedback, Mm -hmm. direct feedback, right? Um, I'd say that people who do have the courage to stand up and give me that feedback, I, I really appreciate that from them. And it is amazing to get that once in a while. I do get a tremendous amount of indirect feedback, right? If I put together a workout and everyone's grunting and groaning and we've gone over our hour time, uh, that is very, a lot of indirect feedback, right? If everyone's smiling and laughing and, you know, maybe we finish 10 minutes early, I can give my athletes the gift of time. Uh, that is also a lot of indirect feedback, right? Um, so that is, I'd say, probably pivotal to me programming and just keeping in mind um, what the athletes like. And that's, fr- and I know that from listening, developing a relationship is huge. Um, and keeping that in mind, um, um, because ultimately at the end of the day, it is your program, mm-hmm. right? I'm here to facilitate the program. Obviously do no harm is my number one goal at the end of anything. Right. Um, so as long as you stay safe, um, I have completed my, my goals. If you're happy and you're enjoying your program, I'm that much happier. Right. If at the end of the day, I follow every textbook I've ever read and I've created the best program on paper mm-hmm. and no one shows up, I will never know if the program is the best program for my athletes. If I, if I take two out of the, let's say hundred books I've read and I create a program based off of some of the knowledge in there, the principles, the main principles, and I take into the account the three years I've worked with the athletes, and also their expectations, my expectations, the head coach expectations and my manager's expectations. And I put all of those together, which is a lot to consider. And I give that to the athletes and everyone shows up and everyone is present for two days a week for four to six weeks. That is a huge success in my eyes, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very challenging as a new coach starting in a new position with a new team and new athletes, because you do have to use some of your biases. You do have to rely on more of like the kind of cookie cutter programs, right? But the more you develop relationships, the more that you become uh, uh, familiar with the, uh, with the team, uh, the athletes, and the actual sport itself after doing a demands analysis, the more that you're able to kind of put what I like to call kind of a spice onto the program, right? It's no longer meat and potatoes that are bland as all hell that comes out of the, uh, the oven that you have to eat when you're preparing for a bodybuilding competition, right? Mm-hmm. You can throw a little bit of spice on that and the chicken comes out nice and spicy, salty, peppery, and everyone enjoys it that much more, you know? And I, you can only know what spice to put on, on the food um, when you know who you're giving it to based yeah, off yeah. of feedback that you've been given. If I give you something and it's spicy as all hell because I'm Jamaican and I love spicy food and your mouth is on fire and you're screaming for water and bread and you never come back to dinner, I failed you, right? But now I have indirect feedback that, oh, maybe I need to dial back a little bit for Matt because he's uh, got a little... Uh, mild mouth you know <laughs> he's russian he so thinks then, ketchup is spicy yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> so the next time i know what spice to put on it um to hopefully appeal to you and uh that's i've actually been doing some research on um i've been reading nick winkleman's book uh the language of coaching and he talks a lot about kind of the goldilocks principle which is um, mm. finding that middle, you know, the, gold, the, uh, the classic Goldilocks fairy tale where, you, you know, she goes to one bowl and it's way too hot. She goes to another bowl and it's way too cold. And she goes to the middle bowl and um, it's just right, mm-hmm. right? The only way I can find out what's just right is by trial and error and listening to the athletes, right? Yeah. And then working with team sports and again, working at a university poses as another uh, challenge because I may have found the Goldilocks uh, zone for the team, but of a hundred athletes, 
of 20 of those athletes, it might be completely different, right? But that's where the art of coaching comes in because on the fly, if I program a squat in the program and let's say it's a goblet squat, right? Mm. And 20 athletes are literally looking at me laughing because they're like, man, I like you, Matt, you'd look at me and be like, bro, I'm jacked. What are you saying? I'm like, oh, it's fine, man. You can do a front or back. You've earned it. You've, you've, you have the prerequisites, right? I know you, you know me, you know what my expectations are. I know what your expectations are to get jacked legs, right? And a goblet squat might not be able to give you that. So you've earned the right to progress to something more or regress mm-hmm. to something else, right? Um, so I think that it's very important and it's very overlooked as well, right? Because um, a lot of coaches, I think that I've followed and can see who are starting out focus on the X's nose and the hard science, right? And if you apply the hard science and no one shows up to your program, you don't know if the hard science works, yeah. right? So um, I have a mantra that I'm using this year. And it's been, I think, something that I've been telling myself for many years, um, which is I am neither inferior nor superior to, to anyone I work with. Uh, meaning that uh, because I'm fascinated with the idea of power dynamics, uh, especially because I come from a background of um, working with adolescent swimmers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think even as an athlete, there is that power dynamic between uh, coach and athlete. Yeah. Right. You're, they're all, uh, the coach is almost held up to a pedestal. They control the time you have in your sport to play as a team, a team sport. Right. They control if you're on the bench or you're off. So if you irritate them in any way, they might just say, you know what, you're sitting on the bench, right? And my idea is that I don't have the right to do that because everyone involved, everyone involved in the training environment is a stakeholder and has an opportunity to learn and to teach. And if I am taking, if I'm abusing my power, um, I've now proven that my share of the stakeholding is more or superior than the other person sitting across from me, right? Which I don't necessarily believe is true. I think having those hard conversations because there is going to be pushback and I encourage it with all my athletes to push back. It challenges me to be a better coach, a better stakeholder, and it challenges them to know what they're investing in, Mm -hmm. right? Because you have to invest a tremendous amount of time as a university athlete and you sacrifice and give up a lot of your time where it could be somewhere else. You might be able to have a girlfriend or boyfriend, go party and more, have more of a social life, but you know what? You're putting all of that on the back burner and investing the time that you have. So my idea is that I want to give you the something worth investing in. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, yeah. And it's and also, only, yeah. I think, I think the way that I've kind of come to this is obviously by having incredible mentors, um, but also being an athlete myself, right? And mm-hmm. you learn, you always hear like, you don't know, you can't, ex- you can't really speak to it unless you've experienced it, right? I didn't, I didn't play at a high level. I stopped playing football and rugby after um, high school because I gained too many concussions and I figured I better save my head. Uh, so now I'll just play flag, fo- or flag football mm-hmm. and ultimate frisbee occasionally, but um, I've definitely experienced power dynamics and I've definitely experienced hypermasculinity in a sport such as football and, um, didn't know how to articulate, arti- excuse me, articulate what I was feeling, um, or felt intimidated by coaches and athletes, superior athletes, who, what, what I, who I thought was superior athletes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's another it's, long-winded answer for you. No, no, it's great. I love it. I love it. It's uh, it's interesting as as a strictly an athlete, never have like I've I've had uh, actually now come to think of it, I have had some experience coaching in in uh, some sports, and uh, I I teach like as a snowboarding instructor, so kind of, but mostly identifying as an as an athlete for most of my life in different very different sports, right? Golf and mm-hmm. uh, martial arts are, are very different, very different styles sometimes. Yeah, like that. It's 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 key to find that Goldilocks zone because sometimes different athletes also require. Sometimes an athlete, the best will be brought out in them if the coach is very strict. And sometimes that doesn't work at all. It depends on on the the personality, and it, it really it is. You got to find the happy happy medium and what works for them, right? It's it's mm-hmm. uh it's a relationship, really is on, and you know that requires 
cooperation. It's both sides. Right. And, um, mm-hmm. so that that's very interesting. And, and yeah, with you, like, uh, as, as a golfer, I came into the gym and we started doing some, some mobility stuff. And I, I, I think I tried to communicate to you that like, listen, I'm, I'm probably going to be the only, at first there were some other golfers coming in, but I'm going to be like, I'm probably going to be the only one coming in and I, I just want to get big. So, yeah, yeah. And, and you helped me out with that. Like I told you, and, and you did. And also, you know, going back to the Goldilocks thing, um, like I, I took some of the exercises from the mobility stuff we're doing, like, uh, you know, RDLs, for example, I didn't, I've never done one of those Romanian deadlifts before. I think I started training uh, at Goldring with, with you. And, um, that's something I, I regularly do now. And it's, mm-hmm. it's helped me with my mobility and my core strength and, and, and everything. So it's, uh, you know, you got to find that happy medium and it's an interesting to, to see the other side of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, going back to the question with, uh, like, um, how do I, how do different athletes respond to training and, you know, in the university environment, when you have a multi-sport kind of workout, mm-hmm. I think for, for me, and I think what we do here at the university of Toronto is, um, especially with a multi-sport, um, session like that, not saying that every workout is the same. Every program is the same, right? If you are, if you and rowing, um, came into the same session, you'd have a similar structure to your workout, a uh, similar movement, but it would be a different program. I didn't mm-hmm. want to make, I didn't want it to sound that everyone was on the same program, but I think one way that you can um, add spice or variation in a program is through the uh, relationship you have with the athlete, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So if you have, I think a better example would be if I had 20 swimmers come in and they're all on the same program, let's say, um, how I interact with that athlete and if I push that, how I push them, how I back up, how I back off on them, knowing what program each athlete is on or in, sorry, if you're in biomedical engineering or sorry, biomed or uh, biochemistry, sorry, and then someone else is in maybe uh, a less hands-on field, uh, let's just call it uh, music, for instance, or something completely different. Yeah. Both, um, both programs possess, um, impose a different demand on you, right? You're, you might be taking six classes a semester, that fourth year or fifth year athlete in music might be taking three. Mm. So I know that you're coming in with uh, much more stress, maybe much more stress than the, the other athletes that's in the same session. Yeah. So if I want you both to be, let's say at a seven out of 10 in that session, you might walk in a seven out of 10 Yeah. in fatigue and exhaustion. That person might walk in full up on spunk energy and all the caffeine in the world. Right. Mm. So if I come up to you and I say, Matt, you got to push harder. You get Matt, you got to push harder. Why only doing body weight pushups? Why only squatting 20 pound goblet weight? Yeah. You know, Um, that's going to break you down. Not today, not tomorrow, but if you get that same feedback day in and day out, week after week for a full semester, that's going to break down. Yeah. And you know, what's unfortunate is you're not going to attribute it to me, the coach or your training sessions. You're going to attribute it to you. What am I doing wrong? Dre is a professional. He takes so much time. He does all these things to help us. What am I doing wrong? Mm-hmm. It's something I'm doing. You know, I got to be better. Where at the end of the day, it's actually the other person who isn't catering the program or adapting the program or the teaching style of communication to you. Mm-hmm. It's kind of between the two of you, right? You have to create that trust relationship between the two of you because if you haven't addressed to me how you're feeling, I'd have no idea. I can only interpret, right? I can't assume necessarily. Yeah. Um, but if you have, and I'm still not changing my communication style, then that's on me. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so it's, it's very dynamic in nature as you can kind of hear, as your listeners can kind of hear. Right. So, um, that's the art of coaching. I learned a lot about it with, uh, originally from, from, uh, Brett Bartholomew with his, with his book called, uh, uh, frankly, the art of coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, he goes into great depth of uh, different, he calls them archetypes. And it's essentially different personality types that may be on a team or in the gym. And kind of um, what gets them up in the morning, knowing what gets them up in the morning, right? But you might be alpha dog and you have 
life thrown at you and might be broken down, right? So I, as an alpha dog, I might be pushing you every day in and day out, right? Mm -hmm. But one day you come in and you know, you've had 10 exams in two weeks and your girlfriend broke up with you and you haven't, you've been eating KD and you haven't washed your sheets in six months. And you know what, your alpha dog mentality are, is kind of broken down a little bit. And I'm still mm -hmm. giving, I'm still barking orders at you. And normally you'd be able to take it, but now you maybe your self-esteem's a little bit uh, lower than normal and you need a little bit more TLC right now than barking, you know, tend yeah. to love and care instead of, instead of barking, you know? That makes sense. So there's much to learn about uh, nonverbal feedback and nonverbal communication. And that's yeah. kind of that's a really where I'm. I focus my attention, uh, and I focus a lot of my research and, and reading. And um, not saying I completely ignore the science. I love this. Well, not, not science because that's still science. More so social science um, and psychology. But uh, the X's and O's and the and the bio biomechanics and the anatomy. I don't necessarily focus all uh, the, the majority of my of my time on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's a yeah, that's a very cool perspective to hear because I haven't necessarily thought about that much in my uh, my career as an athlete. So that's that's cool to hear. All right, well, that's that's all the questions I had for you. That's uh, that was an awesome conversation. Thanks for coming yeah. on. That was it was fun to talk. I learned a lot, and uh, hopefully, you know, the listeners that there's a lot to digest there for sure. So that's <laughs> one of my I'm yeah. I'm very excited to finally be able to talk about training and fitness. And I hope to, to talk about it more on this, this podcast. Cause that was one of the reasons I, I started it. Cause I, as a way to that, you know, I have plenty of people in my life as an athlete, like such as yourself that, and uh, my other friends and other uh, areas that I can talk to and learn a lot about. So definitely accomplish that goal today. And thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Matt, for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, I've never actually sat down for a podcast before, but um, I just love talking as you can probably tell as your listeners can uh, probably tell. And, uh, I really appreciate you reaching out to me. I definitely admire the fact that you, you've started this journey on, a, um, creating a podcast. I know it's not easy to get up and get after it, but, uh, you continue to show myself and those around you that, um, you just got to do it, you know, and you got to put in the time and effort and be passionate about it. And, uh, yeah, I really appreciate the time that you've taken to talk with me today. Thank you, coach Dre. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a wrap. See you next time. All right.